Let's pray. Lord, we just sang to you the prayer. Longing of our hearts. We want to let the world go. The siren song, it it screams in our faces. Taking away that desire or diminishing that desire. That we want to throw the world away just so we can have you. Help us, Lord. Help us in our struggle. Give us a victorious struggle. And Father, now I pray that by your spirit that you open up this, this book to us, this letter that Paul wrote as we try to, to gain a bird's eye view of what it's really all about. Thank you, Lord, for the, for the last number of weeks that we were able to involve ourselves in it. I pray now, Lord, that we'll take it and that we'll use it in our lives. Thank you, Lord, for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, for those of us who are a little bit older, we had interesting experiences in school, didn't we? You know, back then it was reading, writing, arithmetic, wasn't it? That was, that was basically the curriculum. Those are the good old days before school mandated multiculturalism and wicked sex education. And you think about what's going on in, in California right now. That is like, are you kidding me? It, it, is, it is appalling. Or even evolution being taught as fact. Now, there was no fighting over whether males could enter into female restrooms in our day, right? And believe it or not, there was a day when PPE and social distancing wasn't even thought of in the public schools. But how often was it that when we were kids, we would ask the teacher, why do I have to study this? You know, it's not going to be any useful. It's not going to be useful in my own life. You know, think periodic table of the elements. <laughs> why memorize that? Or who cares about how a sonnet is put together? I couldn't care less. But, what, but when we'd ask the question to the teacher, what, what would they say? Well, you may need it sometimes, so you need to learn it, right? But the idea here is that so often we, we, what we learn in the artificial environment called academia, sitting at desks and things like that, it seems to have little practical connection with the real world. Or it just shows how small the student's world is, right? Because as we know, education is not the mere acquisition of skills so that we can get a good paying job. Or at least it didn't begin that way. But now, how often do we, or do Christians, understand discipleship as mere academics? You know, so many are exposed to the Christian life kind of like this. You know, we understand that God exists, that He loves us, and that Christ died to save us. If I pray the sinner's prayer and turn my life over to God, whatever that means, you know, I will do that. You know, I'll go to church and and I'll put a little bit in the offering plate or the baskets that gets passed, and I'll get involved in doing some stuff there in the church. And when I die, I'm going to heaven. And for many, that's about as far as things go. You know people like that? 
How often do we think or at least act as though God is kind of too busy for my little life and my stuff? Or if I'm good, you know, I just need to live a good life and I'll, I'll get to go to heaven later on. You know, hell exists, at least I know that much, and surely I don't want to go there. But between now and the day I die, I've got my life to live. You know, all this, all this heaven stuff and being good because I'm supposed to, you know, being good for goodness sake, well, that's going to help later on, you know, like when I'm ready to depart from this life. But please don't get me too religious. You know, I don't want to be too religious now. You know, there's a lot of living I need to do before I die. See, all that Bible stuff and prayer, you know, what good do these religious things do for me on Tuesday afternoon when I'm bored out of my skull at the staff meeting or trying to get along with my coworkers when we're, you know, trying to to work real hard through things and, and facing things like job layoffs because of COVID? Or as a student wondering why I'm learning all these things I'll never learn in real life. See, all that pie in the sky stuff related to following Jesus is for another time in my life. In other words, God's word, you know, it's, it's, it's for the non-real things in life. You know, I'm never going to use all the begats and the these and the thous and things. So why read? Why study scripture? You know, and prayer has its place, though, like when I really need a miracle because I got that phone call from the doc. But the Christian life is not designed to live this way. You knew that, right? Following Jesus in this life requires that we understand that we need to take this eternal truth of God and live it out as we, by faith, serve the Lord. Seven days a week, 24 hours a day for the rest of our days. That's what discipleship really is. It's not just academics. And that's why 1 Corinthians is so important. Those of us who have been following the Corinthian correspondence now for about the last 30 weeks, right? We, we see these messages, in, in these messages, how practical this whole letter really is. See, in this letter, we encounter Paul as a pastor mentoring his beloved Corinthians. He's loving on them. He's answering their questions and correcting their thinking and their behavior about many things. As I mentioned last week, we want to take a quick walk, though, through this entire letter today. See, we want to step back and we want to get the big picture of it. Once again, we don't want to see this letter through the lens of, why do I need to learn this stuff? I won't ever use it in the real world. So we know how practical this letter is. You know, so many issues, so little time. And so I want to, again, have us go back through this letter today in a fast-paced overview to remind us of what Paul covered. In a real sense, we can think of 1 Corinthians as the gospel with shoe leather. Meaning this letter shows a Christian how to live in this life, how to live the Christian life in this life, to live out God's timeless truths in the here and now. And as we know, Paul addressed the believers in the church in Corinth. And he warned those who were not believers in the church in Corinth, who somehow and some, for some reason attached themselves to the church, because he mentioned a number of places, hey, some of you aren't saved. 
But it was for the true Christians that Paul patiently and lovingly and pointedly at times gave them the ways of living out the gospel. Early on in this letter, Paul reminded them of their new life in Christ. And he had given them the gospel and that God had profoundly and forever changed them. I remember one of my more recent messages that I challenged you, challenged us to answer the questions, the very ones that Paul asked the Lord the day that they met. Remember those two questions? I said, Lord, who are you? And Lord, what would you have me to do? Well, let's consider 1 Corinthians as a, a help in answering the question, the second question. Lord, what would you have me to do with the life that I now have as a Christian? And also to help us to get the big picture, we want to do some chapter IDs. And so you can look in your bulletin and you'll find a little insert. It'll say 1 Corinthians in a nutshell. You can pull that out. And, and as we do, I want us to, to remember, remember a little while ago, I challenged all of us before as we went through uh, Genesis. Remember all 50 chapters of Genesis, you know, chapter IDs. You know, and I think about you know, the, the challenge I did, say, you know, did you put down, can you put down a phrase or a word that kind of summarizes the chapter? All 50. If those of you who are discipling others, can you walk your new disciple through the entire book of Genesis with just your chapter IDs? You know, it's, it's very practical, very helpful to do that. But, you know, as, as I went through this and, and prepared this, I remember when I had to do the very same thing when I was in school a long time ago. My professor gave us an assignment, New Testament professor. He says, I want you to do a chapter ID of every chapter in the New Testament. Now, he gave us a whole semester to do it, so, you know, it, it, was, it was some time, but it was, it was pretty tough. I know that I did differently. I know that I put down different, act, uh, different uh, chapter IDs back then as, as opposed to, you know, this last week. And I think the reason why that I did, that I'm sure that they're different, is because of the, of the time that I spent in 1 Corinthians, preparing for the messages and, and reading through it and studying through it and meditating on it. I believe the Lord has solidified this letter, this book, in my life much more now than, uh, than I did when I was in school a long time ago. But before we actually get going in the chapters, let me remind us of a couple of cultural things, you know, of, of why Paul wrote what he wrote when he wrote it. Because he didn't write it in, in a vacuum. He didn't just sit in ivory tower and just say, okay, here you go, guys. No, there were reasons why Paul wrote what he wrote. Remember the cultural soil that the believers in this church were steeped in. And I don't think it's much different back then as it is now, even in Virginia. There's a lot of similarities between Corinth and, and even now. And obviously, though, things have taken a little bit of a different hue over the last six months. And so if you can kind of think back to pre-COVID days, pre-Black Lives Matter movement days, you know, think along those lines as we compare our culture with what Paul wrote uh, in, in, in Corinth. So in Corinth, and as, as well as in our day, wealth was and is amassed, and the good life is highly valued. Would you agree with that in our day? And like Solomon wrote in the book of Ecclesiastes 10.19, he says, Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens the heart, and money answers everything. Now, we know that that's not true, but how many people believe this? 
That's a meme in our culture, isn't it? Leisure activities like sports was an absolutely huge deal in Corinth. And as with us as well, right? The city was home to the second largest empire-wide event called the Isthmus Games, second only to the Olympics themselves. Think about all the clamor of sports at all levels in our day, even in our town. Because of COVID, there are a lot of issues just to watch people, you know, participate in sports, let alone the participants themselves. Isn't that true? Talking heads were big back then, and they are now. Think about the 24-hour news cycle. The the news people are, are falling all over themselves, trying to be the first one to get these news stories out. And let's not forget all the actors you know, telling powerful stories and, uh, and largely, you know, untrue and wicked stories in our day. And we believe all these things. In short, the talking heads and the athletes were the rock stars of the day. And then for us, throw in all the musicians and, and then you've got the culture that we live in. But next comes the consuming sensual pleasure for the Corinthians in the forms of the worship of gods and goddesses and sexual activity. Back then, these kinds of things went together. But in our day, we worship at the altar of pleasure, don't we? You know, we struggle against it, but oftentimes, even Christians sometimes do, tragically. You know, as Francis Schaeffer described it back in the 1970s, he calls it personal peace and affluence. That's what rules the day. That's what ruled the day back then, and even more so now. You know, think inconvenience. What comes to your mind when you think of inconvenience? Don't like that. Or pain of any kind. Or deprivation of any kind. Or even the perceived feeling of being ostracized from social circles. You know, see, we don't want to be bothered with anything. We just want to be left alone, don't we? You do you. you I do me. And that's really kind of what the way we're living. And we have to struggle against that as Christians. And the same holds so true uh, oftentimes with our understanding of God. See, the true and living God, as we've been so well trained to believe, only wants the best for us in the form of preventing us from experiencing any hurt and harm and danger. I hear a lot of Christians pray that very thing. Lord, protect me from all hurt, harm, and danger. You know, things don't go my way all the time, and especially when God answers my prayers with a no or differently than the way I desire, then what do I conclude? That God doesn't love me. It often means that I respond to him when he responds to me that way, and I'm going to stop following him. Well, you know, I'm going to take my toys and go home. Because, you know, We've been trained over and over again that God loves me and has a wonderful plan for my life in the form of good stuff, pleasant things only. And I don't even have to comment about the, the, the cultural similarities of sexual perversions between us and the Corinthians back then. But I'm going to say this, though. I heard yesterday at, at the return that 75% Get this, 75% of all pornography in the world is produced where? Right here in this country. 75%. Sex, slave trafficking, and abortion are the hideous connection points with all of this. 
And so it was into this Corinthian culture that the Lord led Paul to start a church. Imagine being in a town of about 700,000 people and no church at all. That was Corinth before Paul entered. No churches, only temples, only, only, you know, basically places where you can worship Satan. Now, let's keep in mind, though, that the non-Christian Corinthians were religious. They were very religious, but they were very, very lost. See, it takes a lifetime for true, true transformation of a soul once that person comes into the kingdom, once that person comes into the family. That's why we need one another. That's why we need to keep at it and going on with the Lord because it takes so long to transform us, doesn't it? In all our faults and failures, how many times do we fall a day? Scripture tells us the righteous man falls and gets up seven times. See, and that's why Paul has so many issues here to deal with. And the biggest issue, as we know, that Paul deals with in 1 Corinthians is disunity. Now, whether it be that the Corinthians were breaking off into different cliques uh, and, and kind of going, you know, siding with their favorite Bible teachers, or they were breaking uh, their relationships morally, or, um, or even between them and the Lord, or even deviations from the true teachings of the Lord, disunity reared its ugly head time and time and time again. And so without further ado, let's walk through this letter. Fast pace, walk through the letter, and uh, again, pull out, your, pull out your bulletin insert, chapter IDs here, so that, again, we can get a comprehensive picture of this letter. Now, I've got a couple of these ones for you, like chapter 7 is, you know, godly marriage and divorce and separation. You know, it's a little bit more comprehensive or a little bit more, um, little, a few more words here than just like a one or two f- word phrase, but again, because there's so many things in it. Uh, and then also chapter 13, we also know that is the love chapter, right? Agape love. Love is the essential way. But again, we got uh, about uh, 14 more to go. And so I want to do it. I want to read through uh, some of the key verses of each chapter. And then I want to get some feedback from you guys just to kind of prime the pump. You know, there's no right or wrong answer in this. Again, it's just to kind of give you an idea in your own mind about what this chapter really is all about. So let's, let's, uh, let's do that. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. To the church in Corinth of God that is in, or to the church of God that's in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verses 11 to 13. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Paulus, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Verses 18 to 20. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the one who is is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? So again, these are some of the the, the key verses, I I think, that come out of this chapter. 
And so what would you think? What, what are, how would you uh, put down, what would you put down for a chapter ID here in this first chapter? Okay, disunity. Unity and disunity. Okay. Greetings. You can put that down. Yes. The reason I'm writing you, dot, dot, dot. Again, these are for you, for you to remember and, and what this is all about. If you can think of, of chapter 1, just a, a little short phrase. Again, because you want to use this in your own discipling with other people. You know, I personally have down here, um, where is it? Uh, yeah, greetings slash divisions slash divine wisdom. You know, and, but again, that's me. So let's go on to chapter 2, verses 1 to 2. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. Verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Ideas. Chapter ID for chapter 2. Truth. Okay. Christ crucified. Yes. Anybody else? Okay, let's move on. Chapter 3. Chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. But I, brothers, cannot address to you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you are not able, for you are not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, another I follow Paulus, are you not being merely human? Uh, verses 5 to 7. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed. As the Lord assigned to each, I planted, Apollos watered, and God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. 16 and 17. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. In verse 21. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. Again, a lot there in that passage, but chapter IDs. Ooh, stages of discipleship. Okay. What not to do. Like it, good. Planting, well, uh, spiritual planting, maybe. Okay, yes. Identity. Own, own this, yes, own this. Wonderful, excellent, good stuff. Chapter 4. Verses 1 to 3. This is how one should regard us, Paul writes, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. 15 and 16. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. So chapter 4, chapter ID. Follow me as I follow Christ. Excellent. 
Defining how to be faithful. Good. Good stuff. Who else? Chapter 5. Verses 1 and 2. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not even tolerated among pagans. For a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. Verses 11 13. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. It's chapter 5. So chapter ID, what is that? Church discipline. Excellent. Purge evil, absolutely. Defilement in the church, yes. Anybody else? All right. Chapter 6, verses 1 to 3. When one of you has a grievance against brother or against another, does he dare to go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent? to try trivial cases. Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? Six to eight. But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. 18 to 20. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Chapter 6. Stay pure. Beautiful. Dispute resolution. Oh, excellent. You guys are on it. This is good. What else? Live your life as God would. Okay, excellent. Any others? All right, chapter 7. Again, we have it written down, godly marriage, divorce, and separation. Uh, verses seven, or chapter 7, verses 10 and 11. To the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. Verses 15 and 16. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Chapter 7. Uh, any other thoughts uh, in addition to um, the chapter ID that's already here? Okay, let's continue. Chapter 8, verse 1. Now concerning food offered to idols... We know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Verses 7 to 9. However, not all possess this knowledge. But some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. 
Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. Chapter 8. Don't just follow rituals. All right. Consideration of other believers. Fantastic. What else? All right. Chapter 9. Verse 12. If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. 22 and 23. To the weak, I became weak, Paul says, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. To chapter 9. Understanding humility. Excellent. Okay, what else? All things to all people. Beautiful. Anybody else? All right, chapter 10. Verse 6. Now these things took place as examples for us that they might not, that we might not desire evil as they did. 11 to 14. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you, but that is, uh, that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But, will, uh, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. 30 and 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. So chapter 10, warning against idolatry. Excellent. Good stuff. Again, so many topics, so little time. What else? Don't do it just because it's the rules. It's the right thing to do. Yes. Okay. Do it all to glorify God. Yes. Chapter 11, 2 to 3, 2 and 3. Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions, even as I deliver them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. 7 to 8. For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. 19 and 20. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. 27 to 31. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and the drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. Self-examination. Outstanding. Good. What else? Remember, there's, there's several, several topics here. Hierarchy. Yes, hierarchy. Excellent. Yes. Anybody else? Okay, chapter 12. 
verses 1 to 6. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. So chapter 12. That should be a pretty obvious one. Spiritual gifts. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Spiritual gifts. Yeah. And by the way, there's several gift lists in, in other places, like Ephesians 4 and 1 Peter. Uh, I think 1 Peter uh, 5 or something. So, but yeah, uh, spiritual gifts. Chapter 13, verses 4 to 8. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It, is not re- it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. We have here agape, the essential way. Anything else in addition to that? The most excellent way, yeah. All right. Pure love. Pure love. Beautiful. Beautiful. Fantastic. Okay. Chapter 14. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Verse 18 and 19. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Verse 26. What then, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. Verses 39 and 40. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. Chapter 14. Ordered worship. Excellent. What else? Spiritual accountability. All right. Beautiful. Anything else? All right. Chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. 16 and 17. For if the dead are not raised... Not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. 54 and 55. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass a saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Then 57 and 58. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. The good news. Absolutely. What else? Anything else? The gospel, yes. There's one word, and I'll just throw this in here. Resurrection. Resurrection. The whole chapter is about resurrection. 
And so we need to, and remember, just like I'd said, uh, like Paul said a, a second ago, if Christ has not been raised bodily, we're in trouble. We're not forgiven of our sins if Christ has not been raised bodily. So it's, it's absolutely important. Then chapter 16, verses 1 to 4. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put aside something and store it up as he may prosper, so that there may be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. Verses 13 and 14. Be watchful, stand firm in faith, act like men, be strong, let all you do be done in love. 22. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be cursed. Our Lord, come. So, chapter 16. Cheerful giver. We're going to talk about that very thing, too, next letter, too. Yes. What else? Last words. Beautiful. All right. It is a list of instructions. Yes, exactly. Encouragement and all that kind of... Yeah, so... And so that's 1 Corinthians. In a nutshell, we went all the way through it. We didn't think we'd do chapter 50, all chapter 50 of uh, 50 chapters in, in Genesis, but... So what can we take away from this? All 16 chapters, bird's eye view, what can we take away from it? Paul wanted his beloved Corinthians to be about applying the Christian life to themselves. With all the difficulties and sins that the Corinthian believers had, Paul still saw the Lord's handiwork in them. And so in the last great verse of this great resurrection chapter, chapter 15, here's what Paul says. He gives his encouragement based on God's supernatural work in them and his love for them. He says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. It's very important to note here what Paul and ultimately what God wanted them to and us to do. It's based on they and who we are. It's based on who we are. He tells us what to do based on who we are, not the other way around. Paul calls them his beloved brothers. Again, part of the family. How do they get there? They receive Christ. When Paul preached the gospel, he knew it was a, it was a message that was going to be foolish to the Gentiles, and a stumbling block or scandalous to the Jews. And Paul basically knew this. He said, listen, when I preach the gospel, if anybody gets saved, it's going to be because of God's work, not because of my eloquence, because the message itself is is not acceptable. It was not acceptable in that culture, and increasingly so, it's not acceptable in our culture. Isn't that true? See, if the Corinthian pagans were going to be Corinthian saints, it would have to be a work of God because, again, the Gentiles saw Christ crucified as foolishness and something to be rejected, and the Jews saw Christ crucified as a scandalous thing. And though doubtless there were many who rejected the foolish, scandalous message, there were some who would believe. And though the true believers struggled, at least they were following Jesus. Some of them followed from a distance. Others followed more closely. But all true believers display a lifestyle of living godliness. Living because people who are alive can walk. Dead people can't walk. Isn't that true? And godliness because 
Godliness is such of the way of Jesus. Christians live, we live in godliness. We practice righteousness. Paul said of these brothers and sisters to be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. What about you? Are you steadfast or do you waver in your relationship with the Lord? Are your eyes fixed on him or are they distracted by the trinkets and the shiny objects of the world? How you spend your time, how I spend my time, the decisions that we make, what we choose to think about and meditate on will all feed into or distract and detract from our steadfastness and our immovability in him, in the Lord who was crucified and rose again for you and for me. And I tell you, when I was at the, when I was at the return, the Lord convicted my heart a lot of lethargy, of wasting time. You know, not, not the things I'm doing are bad, they're not evil, but, you know, I would do things, and the next thing I know, several hours would pass, and more hours would pass, and, and then the things I need to do, I, don't, I end up not doing them, or I get, I get behind. And so for me, my prayer is that God will enable me to, to be minimizing the distractions, and I'll, I'll just stop looking at all those shiny objects that the world dangles in front of me. The second point of the application is 1 Corinthians 16, 22. And with this, we'll finish. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. And this word here, love, is not the word we think of. Think of agape. I mean, the whole chapter, agape love. This word is a relationship love. It's a feeling love. It's phileo. This is the, this is the love here that Paul's talking about. The relationship that we are to have with the Lord is not to be a cold, clinical, bare-bones love, but it's to be a warm, inviting love, a friendship love. It's like the difference between having a fireplace in your house and having a fire in it. See, we can have a fireplace in our house, but if we don't have a fire, if we don't have a fire in it, then what good is it? The fact is I've got a fireplace, but if I never use it, See, the potential for warmth and light is there. But if there is no fire, it's a cold hearth. But a roaring fire makes all the difference, doesn't it? Especially at night and in the wintertime. Let's be about the business of keeping alive the teaching called the Westminster Catechism. Now, Catechism, if you don't know, it's a, it's a, it's a whole series of teachings based on questions and answers. And the first question of the Westminster Catechism goes like this. What is the chief end of man? We, as believers, we are made for two things, to glorify God. And, and for people who are, are much more biblically oriented and who have their, their foundation established on the Word of God, we're all about glorifying God. But I think sometimes we miss the other part, enjoy Him. We sometimes forget to enjoy our Lord. I don't know about you guys, but I sometimes do. Again, it's, it's the difference between having a fireplace. When I get saved, it's, it's as if spiritually speaking, God puts a fireplace in my house, in my spiritual house. But to enjoy Him, what do I do? I light the fire. I like the fire. How do I like the fire? I spend time with the one who loved me and gave himself for me. Same way for all of us. So let me ask, 
How's the fireplace of your heart? Is it cold? No fire there? You saved, yes. You love the Lord with agape? Or is there a fire in it, warm and inviting? Paul wants us to not only love the Lord with agape, but love the Lord with phileo. And Jesus says, you're my friends. You have a warm relationship with me. Why? How? If you do what I command. <laughs> if we love people, if we love those that we love, we want to please them, especially those who are our superiors. Same way with our Lord. And so, are you glorifying God? I hope so. Are you enjoying him? I hope so. Such as 1 Corinthians. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time we've had to go through this book in a very fast pace. Lord, this is, in a very real sense, the gospel in shoe leather. Lord, all of these issues are so timely and so applicable for our day as well. Lord, I thank you for my brothers and sisters. I thank you for the attention that they have, that they have uh, placed here uh, trying to figure these chapter IDs out. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to be students of your word. Not so much scholars, because scholars sometimes can be educated fools. But Lord, students, always learning, always wanting to, to please you, Lord, to take your word and to, and to enable us to enjoy you with it. Thank you, Lord, for saving us. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you, Lord, for giving your life for us. Help us, Lord, to give our lives back to you in return because you've loved us first. Now, I thank you, Lord, for this time of giving. I pray, Lord, that as we do give, that we'll give because we're truly grateful for what you've done for us. And I pray also now, Lord, as we sing, that we will sing once again to give you the praise and the glory and honor that you alone deserve. In Jesus' name.